It's the e-commerce master plan podcast here to help you grow your e-commerce business faster and more efficiently by cutting through the hype to bring you inspiration and guidance from the e-commerce sector and beyond. Here's your host, Chloe Thomas. Hello, Master Plan World. Great to have you all listening. And I'm really pleased to be bringing you yet another Takeaways episode. Now, each year I try to go to one non-e-commerce focused event to broaden my knowledge. And this year it was last week's PI Live in London. Now, the name doesn't give you many clues at all. So what was it all about? Well, it was about influencer marketing affiliate marketing, and there was also some advertising sessions. So, yep, not that far from e-commerce, but it did give me a chance to get deep into a few areas I don't often do a lot of research around or talk to all of you about. So, I have updates coming up in this show about affiliates, influencer marketing, Facebook ads, and growth hacking. And make sure you stick around for the last one, as I'll be doing a summary of what I thought was the best session of the whole conference, and there's lots of value in that one. Before we dive in, you can get the whole script for this show, think of it as a blog post, at ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash 126-5. Um, typos are in there, links are in there, um, and that's, uh, that includes lots of links from that last session on growth hacking. Okay, so affiliates. About 10 years ago, affiliates was one of my go-to marketing methods for an e-commerce business. If I got involved with someone who was doing e-commerce for the first time, maybe they were you know, a high street retailer or a big cataloger, we would get email happening, Google AdWords happening and affiliates happening. For the last few years though, I've seen it much more as a specialist option. You know, it's something you only really deploy if it's the right thing for that particular brand. Maybe they're big on influencers and some of their influencers want to kick back. Maybe they're customers like a voucher code or it's a product that there's just a lot of affiliate activity happening and there's loads of great traffic coming from the affiliate networks that they could be tapping into. Now, in case you're not sure what affiliates is, here's a very quick explanation. Affiliate marketing in e-commerce means becoming a client of one of the affiliate networks. Think Web Games, Awin or Pepper Jam. Then using their platform as your vehicle to both recruit and assist and help and build relationships with your affiliates, but also to manage the tracking and all the tech that goes alongside it. And then you're using that platform to incentivize other businesses, the affiliates, to send traffic that buys to your website in return for which they get a commission on the sales. This is a cost per acquisition um, route which means it's a marketing method where you don't pay until you sell something. But it does require a lot of active management if you're going to get it to work well for you. One of my main aims attending the conference was to make sure I'm still up to date on affiliates. Um, So here's what I learned. Well, first off, I am still up to date because not that much has really changed in affiliates over the last five years. The big issues remain the same. It's still attribution and the level of management you need to put into it. But it does feel like things have grown up a lot in the industry. Those I heard from and spoke to were very much talking about affiliates from the perspective of structuring account incentives and finding and managing the right affiliates to hit the objectives. That's streets ahead of a few years ago when we talked about that, but very few companies did it at all. It was really just about getting as many affiliates signed up as possible and leaving them to it, which is very much not the way to make it work for you. So it's good to see that people are now doing that. Good to see the industry's growing up. So let me explain those two big issues I mentioned. Um, Attribution was the number one 
reason affiliates fell off my no-brainer marketing method list. Clients were uncomfortable about whether or not the affiliate channel was bringing them new customers or it was just a way for someone else, the affiliate, to get a cut of an order that was heading to the retailer anyway. Seeing affiliate sales spike on the same day as a catalogue landed or an email went out really didn't help this perception. It is still a huge issue, but it seems like the tracking tech has improved and that now accounts are being set up to take this into account to incentivise the affiliates to drive incremental sales to bring in new customers, to incentivise affiliates to do what the retailers need them to do. So, for example, lower commission rates for affiliates that drive poor new customer acquisition, higher commission rates for those that bring in new customers, and much closer relationships between merchants and affiliates to make all this possible. Hence, better affiliate management, and that being the norm rather than the exception, is a very, very good development. Now, I warn you, it's still not a good idea to just launch an affiliate program and leave it to its own devices. If this quick dive into affiliates has piqued your interest, then do let me know as I'm thinking of bringing you some more affiliate content in 2018. And um, before we move on, I'm going to end my affiliate chat here, but I've got two really cool resources I want to share with you. First off is the AWIN Report 2017. Now, this is awesome. It's a report that explains the international affiliate marketplace, so how it's working in different countries, if it's a good idea, bad idea, what's going to work, what isn't. And also the key developments across affiliates in general, outlining for you the opportunities and key things you could do within affiliates. You can get that completely for free. I believe an email sign up is required on the AWIN website, and there's a link to that in the show notes. Um, Now, WebGains have also built a great free tool. They've launched an affiliate training academy available online and there will be face-to-face events happening too. So if you're currently playing with affiliates, you're not really feeling you're getting it, or if you're intrigued about this marketing method and think it could work for you, or you've seen a competitor using it, then go and have a look at their training course. It's completely free. And as I said, links to both those resources will be available in the show notes or are available in the show notes, which is at ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash 126-5. Right, let's go on to influencer marketing. Now, you'll have heard me and my guests on the podcast talk about influencer marketing many times before. And I have to be honest, if the influencer marketing show wasn't a part of PI Live, I probably wouldn't have gone. But the prospect of getting deep into affiliates and influencer marketing at the same two-day event was just too good to miss, not least because I believe these two are intrinsically linked. Given influencer marketing is about identifying online influencers that it would be great if they would mention your business and that you usually have to incentivize them, isn't that just the kind of thing you do with affiliate marketing? Admittedly, some influencers will do it for product and most want a flat fee, but commission on sales is also a viable incentive mechanism. You can hear um, Dan Adler of Winkbeds discuss how he used an influencer marketing approach with an affiliate side order, I suppose, uh, to get his business to over a million dollars in their first year uh, in podcast episode 71. So I'm not going to kind of go into the, the ramifications of how to run a uh, an influencer campaign have a listen to that podcast for that one and again link in the show notes i went to some great panels and sessions about influencer marketing which include speakers from merchant side affiliate network side influencer management side and the influencers themselves from those discussions there were clearly three things you need to get right in any influencer campaign so i'm going to run through the tips i got on these three things now and the three are find 
Identify the influencers you'd like to work with. Recruit. Make contact and persuade them to work with you, including the pricing part. And three, the brief. And wow, was this not the most important part, as you'll find out when we get there. Um, One thing I should say before I go into those tips is when I'm talking about influencers, we are talking about people with, with popular YouTube channels. We're talking about people with good Instagram profiles, bloggers, tweeters, to some extent, newspapers, I suppose, could come into this. Um, so there's a lot of blurring the lines with PR and other areas. But but if you think kind of bloggers, Instagrammers and YouTubers, those are the three kind of biggest areas for this. OK, so let's talk about finding the influencers you'd like to work with. Now, before you even start, you need to work out what you want. Do you want a mega influencer? a Kardashian or Premier League football star even, um, or do you want a micro-influencer? There was a lot about, of discussion about these micro-influencers. Um, a micro-influencer has a much smaller following. Uh, numbers vary on this, but maybe 500, maybe 5,000, maybe 10,000. But they have a much, much, much more engaged, more connected audience than the celebrities do. People tend to feel closer to them. Thus, the response you get should be greater. Plus, of course, these guys are going to want considerably less money to do your um, your promotions and to talk about your brand than the celebrities will. So this is a great opportunity, I think, for the smaller business because there was a lot of buzz around uh, getting involved with micro-influencers. However, I should say there's going to be a lot more work involved as influencer marketing works as you build relationships with the influencers. So if you're going after the micros, you have to build more relationships to get the same level of um, volume to your activity. Now, the fundamental at the heart of influencer marketing is that what you're trying to do is you're finding someone online who's trusted by a lot of people and you're getting them to transfer some of the trust that people feel in them to you. So there's a there's this whole trust transfer. So if you can find those micro-influencers who are trusted more by their followers than the celebrities are, generally speaking, then you're going to get a bigger impact from that. So it is all about trust transference, really. Now, whatever the size of influencer you're looking for, it's a case of deciding on your campaign first, what you want to achieve, what you want them to do, um, and then identify the influencers with the best fit for that creative and objective. For example, it might be you have a a snack bar, let's say, and you're going, you want to get some footballers to talk about it. Well, that, that creative and that campaign is going to be all about football. If it's a snack bar that's about netball, you want to sell to netballers, it's going to be a very different piece. You've got to decide what the campaign is, the creative is, or the creative idea is before you go out and find those influencers. Also, be ready to test. So on your first campaign, you're probably not going to get it all right. Surprise, surprise. So start with maybe 20 influencers for the first campaign track the results, see who you liked working with, who created what you would consider the best content, who led to the greatest levels of engagement and sales that you were aiming for, and then adjust and optimise accordingly. Uh, There are some great tools out there to help you find influencers and profile them once you've identified them, because you you may come up with a big list and you want to whittle it down. So you're going to want to work out which ones are posting, which ones are getting the engagement, which ones are getting the traffic. It's a case of blogs. So here's some tools. Um, Similarweb.com is great for checking out traffic to websites. Hitwise is um, it's, it's not the cheapest of tools, but it will show you where people are going to before and after they've interacted with the influencer. So upstream and downstream traffic. 
more specialist and niche in the influence of space is Publisher Discovery and Group High. Links to all of those are in the show notes, which you can find at ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash 126-5. Okay, let's go into recruiting those affiliates. So one, those Not those affiliates, terrible code. Recruiting those influencers. Once you've identified the ones you want, how do you go about talking to them and getting them to agree to promote your products? So let's start off with some stats on why influencers agree to work with a brand. 34 of them. 34% rather of them um, do it because they already use the product. This is something they already believe in, something they already use. 25% do it for the money um, or whatever the, whatever the compensation package may be. 25% of them do it because they feel a strong personal affinity to the brand. So this is a, a brand that feels like a good fit to them. And 4%, just 4% are influenced by the size of the brand, which is another good thing for the smaller businesses out there. You do not have to be a household name to get an influencer to want to work with you. They just need to feel that connection to your brand. Bearing all that in mind, when you first reach out to them, make sure you're giving them the information they need. So give them some background on you and your business so they can work out if you're a good fit. Tell them why you think they'd be a good fit for you. So yes, you do need to have a reason. You do need to have a look, have had a look at what they're up to and what they're doing. Be clear and open and honest. And don't treat that first contact as though you're like, we're God's gift to everything. So of course you're going to want to work with us. Treat that as opening up a dialogue with them. So it's a, what do you think? Could we do something together? Not here's the brief. Here's how much we're willing to pay you. Say yes. Um, Start it, treat it as that initial conversation. Now, how much are you going to pay them? That is kind of the big question. The general consensus was you have to find something that works for both of you. No one said it's a hundred pounds per post if they have this many followers no one said any of that so you need to approach it I think from kind of two angles one how much is this going to be worth to you you know if on pay-per-click it's costing you 10 pounds to recruit a new customer and you believe that an influencer of this size would bring you 20 new customers then you're willing to to pay them 200 pounds What's the worth to you? So, so know, you know how much you can afford, how much it makes sense for you to spend on this. And then secondly, find out what they want from you for this because they may have done these kind of things before. They may love your product so much that they'll do it for product. Find out what they're after. Generally speaking, it's going to be cash. But, find, but ask the question and have that negotiation with them and find and make sure that whatever you end up agreeing on works for both of you because ideally you know, you're building relationships here and you want to be finding people who you will use again and again and again to talk about you and your products. So one of, so, so some examples just to kind of share how people have gone about making sure, how merchant side have gone about making sure they're having, building those fair and trustworthy relationships. One of the travel influencers shared a story of being taken on a trip by a travel company along with another 10 other influencers. Great, you know, getting to meet some of your peers, learning what's working for them, all the rest of it, experiencing all these bits and pieces, taking the photography, um, writing the copy and all the rest of it. It all went really well until about three days into this 10 day trip, they realised that two of the influencers were being paid to be on the trip and the other eight were simply getting the trip as their payment. 
what a way to destroy the desire of those eight people to create great content about your hotels and destination. What a great way to make your best influencers, assuming that's why you were paying the other two, feel really, really awkward. Keep it fair. If you're going to be bringing the influencers together, make sure you're being fair to them. Rachel Hawkes of the TUI group, that's Thompson in the UK. Now they discussed, or she discussed how they found that when taking groups of influencers off on holidays and trips to to experience they could create the content, that if they took a load of British influencers or a load of American influencers all on the same trip, there was competitive elements going on. And so they didn't get the greatest impact and the influencers didn't get the greatest impact either. So what they now do is if they're organising a trip, they'll take an influencer from France, an influencer from Italy, an influencer from the UK, an influencer from America to create a more diverse range of influencers there and stop those competitive elements coming in. So you see, it's kind of a, it's finding out what works for everybody and it's optimising as you go, as with everything in e-commerce. Right, let's, let's, um, let's shuffle on to talk about the influencers brief. This was something I wasn't, hadn't even crossed my mind that this was going to be a big talking point, but it was a huge talking point at the conference and clearly a bit of a pain point for influencers and for merchants alike. So um, so basically the influencers want to be given as much uh, space to manoeuvre as possible to make sure that the content that they're going to create about the brand is going to fit with their general look, their general way of doing things. And some brands are being incredibly prescriptive, like incredibly prescriptive, which, which of course means that everybody who's influencing, who's, who's involved in the same campaign is going to create basically exactly the same photography. A terrible idea for everybody. Um, and actually, a really interesting thing was that brands and merchants are starting to see their influence as an essential part of their content creation strategy. So they're using influencers instead of agencies to create that that brand feel content these days and influencers are loving this because it gives them a chance to be creative and to really create something powerful so often um, a brand these days is going to ask an influencer to create multiple photo options for that instagram post and the brand is going to pick one or two that they're happy for the influencer to use and then the brand will use the others in their own instagram and other marketing activity referencing the creator in the post and of course the price agreed for the project would take that into account There was a lot of discussion about the best results coming from these very open briefs that enable the influencer to kind of play the part of the creative director while still hitting the brand's brief. The more prescriptive the brief, for example, you mention X, Y, Z, don't use this word, background can't be blue, etc, etc, the less interested the influencer is is in working with a brand. And some of the influencers admitted that they got into a project and then the the brief, the client was being too, too prescriptive, so they walked away from the deal. On that basis, you should be ready for your influencers to come back and go, okay, there's one bit of the brief I don't feel like I can really adhere to, so can I tweak it a bit? Be ready for those conversations because if they want to do that, that's because they're trying to make it appeal more to their audience, which at the end of the day is the whole game here. The caveat, of course, to the lack of prescriptiveness is that in certain sectors, it's essential to be prescriptive due to the advertising legislation. For example, Joseph Harper, who's the social lead at Kellogg's, yep, the breakfast cereal guys, he was explaining there's a lot of information he has to make sure his influencers are aware of and laws that they're adhering to, otherwise Kellogg's gets into a lot of trouble. So, you know, all around nutrition and so forth, because these are adverts that are being created. 
interestingly, another, you know, dive away from the wanting briefs to be open. Uh, at the celebrity end, often the brand has to write the copy for the celebrity. You can't get more prescriptive than that or lazy for that matter. Um, so to make the most of the influencer activity, there is clearly a lot of planning that needs to go into it too. As to make the most of the, the activity means reusing that content across the marketing activity of the merchant. So the brief needs to make it clear that this is going to happen. So the influencer knows and they're happy with it and needs to make sure that the content is going to be created that can be used in multiple channels beyond the simple reshare. Plus, make sure the theme of the brief continues onto your website. If you've got mummy bloggers writing about your product, make sure the landing page isn't all about power dressing and going to the gym. So one last thing on influencer marketing. If you're going to get in on this, then make sure you're clear on those legal requirements um, in terms of the advertising content for your for your product and um, the area of signposting too. That means, do you need to flag that the content is sponsored? And if so, how is how are you supposed to do that to, to um, deal with the legislation in the country in which you're operating? And also, please don't do this as a little side project. It needs to be core to what you're doing in the business. Um, if you're going to get those benefits, it's not a just a, it's not just a quick t- marketing tick box to, um, to cross off the list. Right. I now have a couple of um, Facebook ad tips for you. There were two fantastic sessions on Facebook ads. Abby Latham of Ayima covering why your Facebook ad spend is going up in smoke. And Gabriella Barbosa of Drift Rock, who covered people-based marketing, why it will transform your strategy this year. Now, the tips from across those two are as follows. Now, a lot of this is stuff we've previously talked about, so I haven't included it. But um, these are the ones which either we haven't talked about before or that use different language or that I think are very, 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 very much repeating, worth repeating. So people-based marketing, let's clear up what that is. That's using email lists or phone number lists uploaded to the ad platforms rather than using cookie-based remarketing audience lists. And that's important, and Gabriella was making the point about this, that that's really important because of the increasing use of cookie blockers. So customers you just can't get to with cookies, you can get them by doing people-based marketing. And of course, as we know, there's all the clever stuff we can do with creating niches and so forth with that from our whole CRM buyer databases. Test, test, test your audiences. So this was a really good point from Abby, which is something I've never quite taken to this level, but I do agree with the concept. So I will be getting more granular next time I do a Facebook campaign. So she talked about identify one interest and then set up multiple ad sets dive into each of the different demographics, locations, devices, etc. So you have one interest category and then multiple ad sets, splitting the genders, splitting the age groups and so forth to see what does and doesn't work. Because it's the only real way of identifying that. And there's a lot of money to be saved there, a lot of improved response to come back from it. The third tip I've got on Facebook ads, when creating lookalikes, start with a niche audience. Now, I keep saying this and I keep finding people who aren't doing it. So I was really glad Abby was mentioning it too, because it gave me the excuse to include it in this podcast. If you're going to create a lookalike list, don't go, everyone who's been to my website in the last 180 days, lookalike. Rather go, here's the people who bought from me in the last month. Create me a lookalike of that. Or here's my 10% best customers. Create a lookalike of that. So, So go niche, niche audience before you hit the lookalike button. 
Uh, and then test different ad formats. So it's not all about the video ads. It's not all about the carousel. It's not all about the image, but you should be testing those different formats to see what your customers are responding to at a good price. Okay, Facebook ranting over. Let's go into growth hacking, which of course is all about testing. And for me, this was the standout session of the event. If you'd like me to cover more on growth hacking and the concept and implementing it in your business next year, do let me know because it's an area I'm quite fascinated by at the moment, but I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole unless you guys want me to. Uh, Now, the speaker was David Arnu, and he was talking about the recipe for a growth marketing mindset. He's head of growth at Growth Tribe, and they are a company who train other companies in how to adopt a growth hacking process. Now, that's partly why I liked it. This wasn't just some guy getting up and sharing a load of cool hacks, as often happens when when the, the phrase growth hacking gets bandied around. Rather, this was someone explaining how and why growth hacking works. And there were a few cool tips, too, which I'll cover at the end. Now, the starting point is to... Dis- so let me take you through the process and then I'll cover off those cool little tips. Um, now, the starting point for getting involved in growth hacking in your business is to decide which part of your business needs hacking. Where is the weak point? FYI, those of you who've read Customer Persuasion, that is basically working out which stage of the customer master plan model you're not doing so well in. Once you've identified where you want to start, get the team together and brainstorm all the different ways you could improve that problem. So that could be anything from sending more emails to trying LinkedIn ads. It could be any, it could be tweaking the homepage, all the crazy ideas, right? All the crazy things you could test to fix the problem. Outline all those ideas. Set some criteria by which you can rank them. You know, so likely cost, likely impact. Can we do it in-house? Do we need outside help? Whatever that that is. Um, Whatever is the criteria that are important for you. Get the whole team to individually rank them. Pull those results together and start with the one that scored the highest. Simple as that. Test it for about two weeks. Implement, test for about two weeks. See how it's worked and repeat. So it's very fast paced learning, which is one of the reasons why I think it it has kind of like slightly crazy impression when you talk about growth hacking is because it's moving so fast. But that's the point. We want to quickly learn, quickly learn, quickly learn because things move at such a pace these days. And then to keep people focused on that task in hand, set up a library, maybe a shared Google Doc or a notepad in the office or something. Um, There are tools that you can do this with too, but set up a library where you can kind of mothball ideas until you're focusing on that bit. So if if you're focusing on traffic and someone finds something great for conversion rate optimization, put it in the library until you're focusing on conversion rate optimization. So all those cool ideas, cool blog posts, interesting case studies you see, file those away. Um, if you want to, there's a video um, that David pointed us to to tell you more about that process. I will have a link to that in the show notes. Um, I'm now going to go through some tips and tools, and all these links are in the show notes at ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash 126 5. Okay, here we go. Growth Tribe, David's company, have a growth hacking Bible that you can download very well worth taking a look at. Lots of little case studies in there. It's very, very good. LinkedIn is a great place to growth hack right now because their algorithm is weak and easily manipulated. 
YouTube is a great way to quickly rank high in SEO to kind of hack your way into the Google search rankings. Now, Crystal Knows, as in uh, knowing about something, is a LinkedIn plugin that will tell you the personality of the people you're contacting and how best to communicate with them. Really, really clever stuff. Very hard to explain on the podcast. Go and have a look at it. If you're a B2B business doing those sales activity or a luxury business who, um, who you know, who's doing lots of that one-on-one customer communication. Oh, and it, if you're doing this on mass, it has an API that you can feed into your CRM too. Very, very cool. Very, very clever. Very easy to use too when you see it in action. All right, another tool, Articulo. So A-R-T-I-C-O-O-L-O is an artificial intelligence article writing tool. So you put in your subject and it spits back a load of blog posts. I have a feeling I might be testing that one myself next year and we'll see if you guys can spot can spot the artificial intelligence written ones. Um, probably you will, but we'll see. Uh, if customer acquisition is where your problems lie, lie even, then get that first impression right. This is a huge thing. And this is something I'm hearing again and again where I go to different different um, seminars, different events. There's people talking about, they're not talking about tweaking your checkout to improve your overall conversion rate. They're talking about tweaking your homepage and your landing pages to make sure that when someone hits you for the first time, they're getting the right impression, and the right message. So David was talking about in order to work this one out and work out how well you're doing is to do five second tests. And these can be done on landing pages, on ad copy, anything you're using to try and drive customers further down the funnel. So how you do this is you need to find a tool. There's quite a few of those links in the show notes, um, which will enable you to show someone your homepage, etc., for five seconds only. So it shows it to them, it turns it off, and then it asks them a couple of questions. Basically, what does this website offer and why is it special? You get the answers and you can look through those answers and go, oh my God, they're so wrong, but they're not wrong. We're wrong because we're the ones who created a bad page. Tweak it, test again, tweak it, test again until you get everybody or the majority knowing exactly what it is after that five second test because then you will get people continuing past that point. Two other useful resources for you then. They have, Growth Tribe have a YouTube channel of great ideas called the Growth Tribe YouTube channel, strangely enough. Um, And their favourite tools, big list of them, are updated and shared every six months and links linked to to that is in the show notes too. So that's at ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash one two six dash five for all those links and tools I've been talking about and freebies in today's takeaways. That's all my updates. You can find the script of this show at ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash one two six dash five with typos, uh, links, etc. in there. If you want to get stuck into some more conference-style content in the meantime, then my e-commerce master plan virtual summit remains open to registrations. It is free and you'll have access until at least September 2018. Find it at ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash summit. And make sure you tune in next week as there'll be two episodes for you. Again, I know I'm just drowning you in podcast content at the moment. Uh, first up, we've got my interview with Craig Wolf, who runs the fascinating business Celebrity Ducks. Yes, designing and selling rubber ducks. And we've got my last planned, at any rate, takeaways episode for 2017. That's the takeaways from the DCA, the Direct Commerce Association's Autumn Conference. 
And I'm recording this the day after I was at that. So I've already attended it and I know there's going to be some great stuff in there. But that'll be coming out next week for you. Have a great week, all of you. And don't forget to keep optimising. Thank you for listening to the e-commerce master plan podcast. Find out more at ecommercemasterplan.com.